You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 631 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, and joining me on today's podcast for part five of a five-part series, breaking down all of the positions, all the players on the Atlanta Hawks roster. Jeff Siegel is here. What's up, man? Is it part five, or is this technically part six, since we went two parts on the uh, on the power forwards? <laughs> I, guess I that's, think this that's... counts as part six of a five-part podcast. Yeah, that sounds actually right. Um, but yeah, if, if anybody missed any of the previous podcasts, we took a little bit of a break when Media Day and all that stuff happened, so we haven't recorded in, I guess, a week or more at this point in time, But uh, well, at least with the two of us. But we did record previous episodes on the centers, then the power forwards, which was a two-parter, as Jeff alludes to, um, and then small forwards, shooting guards, and today is the Point Guard Podcast, which is going to be interesting in a number of ways. We'll talk about that um, more as we get going here, but uh, please go back and listen to all of these. They're they're kind of long by my standards, but Jeff and I get going, and they're honestly pretty comprehensive deep dives. I think people have liked them and gotten some good reaction on those, and uh, shouts to Jeff for all of that. But please go back and listen and subscribe and tell a friend, and uh, yeah, today's going to be Point Guard. So, well, Jeff, there's three players that we're going to discuss. Um, first of all, you have Brandon Goodwin on a two-way contract, who is... Uh, you know, not on the full roster, but someone who's going to, I think, factor into the plan at least a little bit this season. Then you have an interesting conundrum in that we saved Evan Turner for this podcast because in the offseason when he was acquired, all indications were he was going to be the backup point guard. Obviously, Turner is not a traditional backup point guard, and we'll talk more about that later, but he's number two. And then we'll end things with uh, Trey Young, obviously, who is the... Uh, what, I, what, I, what, I, what I've been calling the sun, moon, and the stars of the offense and the guy that I think is, is the best prospect on this team. So, um... Brandon Goodwin, interestingly enough, will be where we start. Uh, he's on a two-way contract, as, as I said before. He was also on a two-way contract last year in Denver. Fairly interesting in that I know you and I have discussed this before, but this is the third consecutive season now that the Hawks have used a two-way contract on essentially their third point guard, um, from Josh Majette to Jalen Adams to Brandon Goodwin. Um, this year, though, is different in some ways because you know last year they had Jeremy Lin on the roster, Um so as a very clear backup point guard, but this time around, it's not as clear. So um, first and foremost, good one. Is it going to be around all the time? But I think somewhere along the line, he's going to play a role on this team this season. Yeah, I would expect so. You know, especially if, uh, you know, if he can shoot the ball and play a little bit next to Evan Turner uh, on that, on those backup units. And certainly in, in Turner's stead, if Turner's injured or they're resting him or whatever they want to do, you know, I think that they have, a pretty decent incentive to see what they have in Goodwin and, and try to, you know, sometimes give him the reins on the, on the backup unit just to see how it goes, you know, see how he can, uh, he can translate from, from the G league where he played, you know, the majority of his minutes. I mean, he played 57 minutes with Denver. So it's not like he played pretty much any NBA basketball last season. So, you know, you have almost a thousand minutes of the G league was super efficient, but is, you know, certainly a point guard at six two one eighty like is very much not, able to I would not expect that they'll, that they'll play him with Trey Young I just don't think that that's going to be you know sustainable defensively so but I think that there's you know there there is a backup point guard prospect in there somewhere I think you know whether he's he's not there now I think he's more of a third point guard right now but he is you know I think he's 
uh, the, the the upside is certainly that he can get to being a, a backup point guard. Yeah, I, I think Goodwin was a good signing just as a broad um, way, to, way to analyze this. I thought that was a good buy from the Hawks' perspective uh, on a two-way contract that's obviously pretty team-friendly in some respects. You know, the G League was where he played most of the season last year. He's a good athlete. Wasn't a huge prospect coming out of high school. Like, he ended up, he was at UCF and then went to Florida Gulf Coast. So not like a blue-chip McDonald's All-American type guy, but a very good athlete um, who was productive in college and then also shot the ball pretty well last year in the G League. I'm not sure if that's real or not because in college he really didn't shoot it all that well including 27, 27% from three as a senior. That's kind of worry, worrisome in some ways. But if you believe the G League shooting numbers, he becomes even more interesting because that was kind of the one thing that, in my admittedly limited experience watching Brendan Goodwin play, if he can shoot, then he's really interesting to me. Not like starter in the future interesting, but someone, as you said, it could be a long-term backup point guard for someone if it all comes together. He's a good athlete. He's pretty powerful despite not being super thick. I think he's a fairly explosive athlete and comfortable with the ball in his hands and defensively isn't going to kill you by any means. Uh, I, I totally agree that I can't see him playing with Trey because... I mean, maybe that wouldn't stun me if it just happened once in a while early on because the two-way clock doesn't start until the G League season starts. So we assume Goodwin will be around early on, but still you can only have a certain amount of guys who are active every night. And I can't imagine Goodwin's going to be on that list probably early in the season. So yeah, for me, his his real role in Atlanta this season, not College Park, but in Atlanta you have to assume is basically Trey Young insurance. If Trey were to roll an ankle and miss a week, I would expect Goodwin to be on the roster at that point and be with the Hawks um, and playing. I'm not sure how much, but he would certainly ha- almost have to play some sort of role if Trey was unavailable. Um, if Trey is available, I think they're going to go with the, you know, cobble together the backup point guard minutes with a bunch of secondary guys headlined by Evan Turner. So, you know, maybe Goodwin plays a little bit when Trey is healthy, but for the most part, I think personally his primary role in terms of just his existence this season with the Hawks is G League point guard, make your guys look good in College Park, and then if Trey misses any any sort of time, you almost have to have him play at that point. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think uh, the 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 thing that the the that the Hawks have done over these last few years with Majette and then Adams and now Goodwin is having a higher level than a regular G League point guard is also good for your G League team just because it helps you evaluate guys like Charlie Brown, who's on a two-way contract. Some of the other guys who are, are going to be down there if Taj McCall is is on is in College Park throughout the year. You know, Ray Spaulding, if he's in College Park throughout the year. Guys like that, you can evaluate a lot better when you know that the point guard position, you've got a high, you know, a high level G League point guard at that position. And that was the Josh Bajet argument, by the way, that we that we sure. that you and I both used a lot two years ago. It's like it's it's not the worst thing in the world to have a good G League point guard available. And Goodwin's not the same guy as Majet. Like Majet was clearly like a caretaker passer type, where Goodwin not, not not necessarily that. But to your point, like having competent point guard play is kind of critical when evaluating other other players. So even if that's his only value, which I think it's probably not going to be, that's uh, a good point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's their overall sort of philosophy. I, obviously, Majet just sort of is that philosophy to a T. That's like literally his entire existence is to hit, hit to uh, <laughs> to sort of be that philosophy. Goodwin Uh-oh. Adams obviously has a little bit more. Adams had a little bit more sort of NBA upside with his shooting that didn't totally work out. Like he just wasn't that great last year. And then Goodwin has probably 
I mean, I think Goodwin's probably the best of those three guys coming into you know his two-way contract with with the with the Hawks. Adams was a rookie last year. Goodwin has you know some experience under his belt. Played well last year. Shot the ball well last year. Like you said, if he can shoot, he's an NBA player. And if he can't, he you know probably isn't. That's an unfortunate thing for a lot of guys, but that's just sort of the way the the league is right now. Like if you are a perimeter player, if you can shoot, you're going to be probably an NBA player. And if you can't, you won't. And it's just sort of, it's unfortunate, I think for the league in general, that that's the, the way things are, that the, the, that's a whole nother conversation, whether the league is sort of set up so that shooters sort of are more, the shooting is more important than the other skills, but for Goodwin in particular, that's where he's at is like the shooting is the swing skill. If he becomes a, a real backup point guard prospect, if he can shoot and if he can't, he's probably more of a, of a G league point guard. I tend to agree with all of that, including the fact that I think Goodwin at this moment right now is a better player and probably a better prospect than John Adams was a year ago. You know, Adams Adams was a better college player in my opinion, um, but a lot of that was his shooting, like you said. And Adams just isn't as good of an athlete. He wasn't as physically gifted as Goodwin is. And you know, if Goodwin, you know, without without saying it again, the shooting is a swing skill for Goodwin. But even even if you assume that he's going to shoot a little bit worse than he did last year, which is probably a safe assumption in my opinion. He's still someone, if you had to put him out on an NBA court, he's not going to kill you. He'll be not great. Like, you wouldn't want to play him 20 minutes a game. But in the event something happens to Trey, you know, he's, he, he can provide you with some NBA-level minutes, you would imagine, off the bench. And uh, that's a good insurance policy. And honestly, like, it would not have blown me away if he was on a team roster somewhere else this year, like on a regular contract. Like, him and Ray Spalding are the two guys where, you know, it would not have stunned me if they just signed real NBA contracts and they're both obviously Goodwin's on a two-way and Spalding's on an exhibit 10 so that's a different situation but those two guys are both um at the very least fringe NBA players which is better than a lot of the competition that they have around them so he'll be around we'll, we'll, we'll be hearing from Brendan Goodwin at some point I have I have a feeling even if it's not even if it's just College Park you know being that being down the street I think we'll hear a lot from him there and then of course when uh, whenever he's in Atlanta which is going to be sometimes because even if you don't think he's going to use his entire 45 45 day uh, you know, G League two-way clock. Um, I think he'll just be around the team more often because College Park is down the street and Goodwin is a good insurance policy. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this on previous podcasts. You know, on these on these previews, the creating the thirteen-player active list every night is going to be like a real problem if everybody's healthy. Like they already have fourteen guys who you know outside of Goodwin who you know, have a, when healthy, have a, a strong argument to be on that, on that list. And so unless there are injuries, I wonder how much we're going to see him in this sort of early part of the season before his clock really starts. But, you know, I, I certainly think that he, having him around as a, as an insurance policy for, for young in particular is a, is a good idea. Yeah. And he's last thing I think, but you know, he's far more likely to play real minutes this year than Charlie Brown is, even though they're on the same contract, um, just because of the position more than anything else. And I think he's a better player right now, too. Brown is more Brown is arguably more interesting long term because he's just a three and D capable wing. The defense is the big thing there. We talked about him on a previous podcast. But in terms of the two way spots, Goodwin has a much clearer path to playing this year than Brown does. So if there's somebody out of the G League or the two way spots that makes an impact, it's probably going to be Goodwin. So just want to put that out there. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think he, because of the the path to playing time, is a lot cleaner for for Goodwin than it is for for Charlie Brown or any of the uh, Exhibit Ten guys for sure. There are so many guys ahead of Charlie Brown in the pecking order where it would take yes. you know probably three injuries to get to Charlie Brown actually playing 
real minutes, at least early in the season. Um, unless you have any final thoughts on Goodwill, we can move on to uh, the core NBA roster. But yeah, I'll leave yeah, it I mean, it's just I think more. he's. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, how much he plays and what he looks like when he's out there. The shooting, of course, is everything. So it's you know a little bit in that way, at least somewhat. It's easier to evaluate. We had that conversation about uh, about Taj McCall, I think, on the last podcast where you can. It's easier to evaluate a guy whose swing skill is something that is easily evaluated, like a jump shot versus a guy who has the offensive game and his swing skill is defense. It's harder to evaluate whether he's, you know, whether he's improved on defense or whether he's good enough to, to play NBA defense. It's harder to evaluate that than it is to, uh, to evaluate a three point shot. So for a guy like Goodwin, I think it, uh, if, if the shot goes in a lot, then he'll, uh, he'll get more opportunities. And if not, then uh, we'll, we'll see him in college park a lot more often. Yep, that sounds about right. Um, okay, we can move to backup point guard, at least in the traditional sense. It doesn't really exist, and I talked about this on the last podcast, solo podcast that I did, and a little bit with Kevin on yesterday's show or earlier in the week's show um, with Kevin Chenard. But I asked the one backup point guard question on Friday to Lloyd Pierce and Travis Schlank and got sort of interesting answer in which both guys kind of referenced multiple players. It was a lot of, we're going to use multiple ball handlers and we're going to do all this stuff. And I tend to agree that's probably what's going to happen. But uh, on Wednesday afternoon, after the team's training camp practice, Lloyd Pierce um, said the following quote about um, Evan Turner. And this is via Kevin Chenard um, of Hawks.com and ATL29. But he said this, this is what Pierce had to say, um, quote, The versatility that Evan Turner has, we've talked about it a few times. He's going to be our backup point guard, and he's going to be our small ball four, end quote. So that is more definitive. Again, it's only one quote, but it's a lot more definitive than they were on Friday. On on Friday in in the press conference, they left a lot of gray area in terms of, we're going to use multiple ball handlers, and they certainly came out and flat out said that Turner, both both Schleich and Pierce independently said this, that Turner is much better offensively with the ball in his hands, which you and I have said multiple times on this podcast. We've written and all that stuff. That's not really up for debate, in my opinion. But they went a step further today, at least Lloyd Pierce did, in saying kind of definitively that Turner is back a point guard. Now, that is why he's on this podcast. That's why we're talking about him on this podcast. So we're going to talk about Turner in a second. But before we get to that, what do you make of all this? Because um, clearly there are there are other options. They're not point guards either. It's it's Bembry, it's Kevin Herter, and they've mentioned they've mentioned Cam Reddish a little bit. I think Reddish is more of a future proposition than a current one, but maybe they, maybe they try that at some point in time. None of these guys are are point guards, but at the end of the day, Trey Young is going to be off the court for 15 minutes a night, and they have to do something when he leaves the floor. I think it's going to be really interesting. I think they're going to sort of go point guard by committee. It's going to be Turner. It's going to be Bembry. It's going to be Herter. It might be a little bit of Cam Reddish. It might be a little bit of Jabari Parker, which is not a name that we heard a lot about, but is certainly part, a big part of this team, as we've talked about. So I think, you know, I think they're going to perhaps try something a little bit more egalitarian, which is going to be very different, obviously, than it is when Trey Young is on the floor and Trey Young has the ball in his hands, you know, all the time, like pretty much every possession. He's the the engine of the offense when he's on the floor. If they don't have a backup point guard who is that level of engine, not just skill-wise, but just sort of in the, the role of Evan Turner is not going to be the same level of, of usage and, and sort of engineering the offense as, as Trey Young, then things are going to be very different. And so that unit is going to play a very different style, and it's almost going to be two different teams. When Trey Young is on the floor, they're a more traditional point guard-led team, and when 
Trey Young is sitting on the bench, then they're a much more sort of egalitarian, poor man's version of what the Hawks were in 2014-15 and 15-16, you know, during the, the, the Jeff T, Kyle Korver, Al Horford, Paul Millsap years, where things were a lot more about getting everybody involved, running those kinds of offensive plays versus, you know, when Trey Young is on the floor, it's going to be very much more like a lot of what we saw last year where Trey has the ball in his hands and he's, you know, working from, from the top of the key. So, that dichotomy is going to be interesting depending on how they structure lineups and which guys work better in which kind of system. You know, I think that a lot of their sort of secondary playmakers are going to be much more useful in a, in a more egalitarian system. The fact that they have a lot of secondary creators, but really only one primary creator and Trey young is leads itself to be leads me to think that they would play more of a sort of egalitarian equal opportunity offense uh, when Trey Young is out of the game. You know, even Chandler Parsons, if he plays, is somebody who can make, th- make things happen with the ball in his hand. So they have a lot of guys who can play with the ball in their hands, and Turner sort of gets that nomination as the backup point guard, quote-unquote, I think because he's the best playmaker of the guys not named Trey Young, and he has other offensive deficiencies like the fact that he can't shoot at all and doesn't want to shoot and won't shoot and will catch the ball in the corner and gum up the entire offense by not shooting. He has to have the ball in his hands to be successful on that end of the floor. Whereas the other guys who we're talking about here don't necessarily have to have the ball to be successful. So those two things sort of combine to make Evan Turner the, you know, the quote unquote backup point guard. Yeah, and that that's a good primer, I think. I do want to dig in a little bit to like what Evan Turner, the player, is, even, you know, now that we've sort of set the stage for why he's a backup point guard, because that was something we were hearing basically immediately when Travis Schlenk and company were getting the word out after the trade um, involving Kent Bazemore that it was going to be Turner's role. Um, let's talk about what he actually is as a player, because you referenced his playmaking. Clearly, you know, part of the reason why he's better with the ball in his hands than without it, without the ball in his hands is that he can't shoot. That's the most glaring thing about Turner's offensive evaluation is that over the last five seasons, this is not a small sample size, a five-season sample, he's a 27.2% three-point shooter on only 1.3 attempts per game. So basically, you know, he's one of the five worst perimeter shooters in the league that is not a big man. Is that accurate? I mean, maybe yeah. ten if you want to go a little bit further out there. But like, there there are guys who are who are maybe worse. Like Andre, like Andre Roberson, for instance, is an obvious one. There are a few guys who are like this, but Evan Turner is one of the worst perimeter shooting, you know, perimeter players in the league, essentially. So that, yeah, that's a I mean, he's going to be. Is he? I mean, he's probably the worst perimeter player shooter the Hawks have had since three pointers became a thing that people actually cared about, like ten years ago. I mean, pro- I mean, probably. He's... I mean, we we talk about you and I talk about DeAndre Bembry and how the shooting for him is a real question and it's been a real problem. Bembry is a significantly better shooter than Turner. Yep. So that kind of sets the stage for like we we spent a lot of time on this podcast and in 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 print the last couple of seasons talking about how DeAndre, you know, for all the fact that I like DeAndre quite a bit, that is his biggest weakness. And again, like he's a far better shooter <laughs> than Turner is. So that sets the stage for just how bad that might be and. To that end, part of the reason why he's not efficient overall, talking about Turner now, is that you know career career wise, this is a career stat for you know more than a decade now, forty nine percent true shooting, and that comes from the fact that he just it's tough for him to generate high quality shots because he's not a, he's not a floor spacer and he's not super dynamic off the dribble. 
He can play make some. He's a pretty good passer for someone of his size, for instance. But as a scorer, there's not a lot there. And I think he's kind of embraced that, which is to his credit, especially in the recent past. You know, earlier, earlier in his career, he was the number two overall pick in the draft, and he was asked to do probably more than he should have been doing offensively. I think he sort of gets it now, for the most part, in how he plays. But still, it's not a situation where he's di- like super dynamic. It's just that he can pass. He's has experience as a primary initiator, not necessarily as a true backup point guard. This is probably the first time in his career, at least for a while now, where he's like come into the season as the backup point guard option. But he does have experience kind of being in that sort of role offensively. And like we've said before, he's kind of at his best. It's kind of a low bar to clear, which is worth pointing out. But he's at his best offensively when he has the ball in his hands. And it's honestly the only way that he can be even remotely effective on the court, in my opinion. And maybe you disagree with me, but what do you make of him, just taking all the context out of it, what do you make of him as an offensive player? Yeah, I mean, he has to have the ball in his hands because you couldn't, it'd be very hard to draw up a worse you know, current NBA player than Evan Turner without the ball in his hands. So it's really well, not, like you said, it's not a high bar to clear for him to be better with the ball in his hands because he really, it'd be very difficult for him to be much worse <laughs> without the ball in his hands. The only way it works, and I'm going to let you finish, but the only way it works, honestly, is what Pierce said, is that Turner is the very rare player in which when he's not playing the one, quote-unquote, he's a four. Like, he's not actually a wing. He's wing size in a lot of ways, but if he's not playing point guard, he has to play power forward because he can't shoot. So you can't have him as... You can't. You can't. I cannot have him out there with, like, as a wing functional, like like you normally would picture someone of his size, like six seven, who came into the league, you know, basically as a wing. But he's a one four, and the only real guy like that in the league that like plays that role is Ben Simmons. And obviously, Ben Simmons is you know light years better at Evan Turner than Evan Turner at almost everything. But that's the only kind of unless I'm missing somebody in my head. That's really the only archetype in the league right now of someone like Turner who is really a one four. It's kind of yeah. Strange. I mean, you could probably argue that Giannis is there, but like comparing these guys, comparing Evan Turner to Giannis is yeah. Not... And Giannis, yeah, Giannis is a freak anyway. But Giannis doesn't really. At no point is Milwaukee going to say Giannis is playing point guard for them. I, I know he handles the ball, no, but quite a bit. But you does. aren't going to come out and say he's the point guard. Whereas with in Philly, Ben Simmons is yeah. like their point guard, <laughs> and they've yeah. said that numerous times. So I, I'm with you. That's the other guy, but. All that to say, like, you have two freak players. Like, Ben Simmons, for all the hits that he takes, is still, like, a freakishly talented guy. And Giannis is the MVP of the league. And those are the two comps that you can come up with. So it kind of just illustrates the fact that Turner is a very weird player. Yeah, and there's not... Like, those two guys are stars, you know? Yes. Obviously, Giannis is an MVP candidate. or you know, Every year, obviously, just won the MVP. Ben Simmons just got maxed out. Like, no-brainer maxed out. Like, not a Jamal Murray max, but, like, a, an actual max. <laughs> and, like, Evan Turner is a role player. Like, you don't have role players with this level of weirdness. Just It's just hard to to think of another guy like that who is, is not a star, is not even going to start for most teams, but has this, you know, very specific, weird, you know, component to his game where he's either has the ball in his hands or he's like in the dunker spot. And it's just a, it's a weird, it's a weird way to build a, a, it's weird to build lineups around him. It's weird to build him into an offense. It's, it's a difficulty that Portland has had over these last three years that they just haven't had the, whether it's an offensive creativity, whether he 
hasn't bought into what they were trying to get him to do. Like there were just lots of offensive, like the offense would stall when he was in charge of it because, and not just in comparison to when Damian Lillard was in charge of it, because that's not fair to Turner, but just in general, it just wasn't, it, it wasn't cohesive when he was you know, on the floor. And that's three years in a row, really, where he hasn't been, you know, he, he has the playmaking numbers, but the offense in general hasn't been great. And so, you know, you really have to go back to when he was in Boston, where they really used him in more of an egalitarian system where he had the ball. Sometimes he didn't have the ball all the time. He you know, was able to to juice up his playmaking numbers even without having the ball as much. And so I think that's where you can look to and, and see that the, be- the best Turner's ever been where it was, you know, were his years in Boston. So I think that's you know, where maybe Lloyd Pierce can look and sort of see how they used him and, and talk to some of the guys who were around and see, you know, what did they do differently with him then that, that Portland was not able to replicate over these last few years. Yeah. And Pierce has talked about how he had, he had Turner briefly in Philadelphia, but that was, you know, Turner wasn't very good back then. I know he was, again, a top two pick in the draft, but you know, if you look at his numbers, his efficiency has been like jarringly bad for his entire career. But, you know, as you mentioned in Boston, there was a year in Boston where he had a 30% assist rate. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, that's, that's insane. I mean, he, he yeah, had a lot of turnovers that's too. That's high level point guard numbers. Yeah. I mean, he had a lot of turnovers that season too, but he he essentially was the point guard a lot of the time for that Boston team. They didn't call it that at the time, but his first, his first year in Boston, he essentially, if you, if you looked at his, uh, his advanced numbers, you would think it was a point guard with the way that they were using him. Um, both usage-wise, assist rate, turnover rate, all that stuff. So he's just a bizarre player, and it's not worth laboring that over and over again, but it's just kind of the the way you have to approach this is that he's limited. He does th- he does some things well. We're going to talk about his defense in a second because you know he's generally regarded as a positive defender, and that really helps him. Um, but this is also an expiring contract veteran to where – you know, he's, he's beloved in the locker room by all accounts. You know, there's already positive reports about him in the locker room. He was very, very well liked in Portland. He's sort of an interesting character too, but you know, expiring contract gets moved, you know, year four of a massive contract. He's just a strange fit in a lot of different ways. And offensively, you have to have shooting with him for it to work at all. And we've discussed this ad nauseum between the two of us, but it's just worth pointing out that there isn't a ton of shooting on the second unit. So that's kind of where you get in. Like people once, once Kevin Shadar posted that quote that I talked about earlier about Pierce saying that he was the backup point guard in a small ball four, people were like, why would he ever play the four? And I said, well, you know, if they like Turner, if they think he's one of their best seven or eight players, they might want to play him more than just the, you know, 13 minutes a game at backup point guard. If they do that, Jeff, it has to be the four, but it also, you know, it has to be with Trey. And I guess the, one of the questions I got was why would the Hawks use those minutes on Turner and not someone else? I don't have a great answer for you to that, but I do think that, you know, Turner is highly regarded in the league in some respects. And, you know, maybe they would want his defense out there. Like, for instance, if you put out a small ball lineup that Pierce referenced small ball, if you put out a small ball lineup that potentially had John Collins at the five, you could probably argue that Turner makes the most sense as a small ball four on this team, unless you go to Hunter. Like Hunter, it's basically Hunter or Turner in that alignment for me, because I'm on record as saying that playing Parker and Collins doesn't really work that well. Um, So that's kind of the way you would get to that. I still think by far his most, his most prominent role on this team is with Trey off the court. But would it stun me if you played five minutes a game with Trey on the court? No, it wouldn't. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think he's the if he's going to be their backup point guard, then there's you know that's where fifteen roughly maybe 15, you know, 15 16 to minutes 18. something like that. Yeah. yeah. Whatever his whatever minutes trays off the floor, that's where Turner, you know, gets the the elevation as as the 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 primary offensive engine when when Young is not out there. But he should play maybe with Trey Young a little bit. I mean, I I think that he's never I mean, played that little. By the way, just just for the record, he his career low in minutes per game was last season at twenty two minutes per game. So if he's if he's only the backup point guard, that would be a new a new era. For Evan Turner, maybe it's time for that, considering he's past thirty at this point. But he, even when he's been in this sort of hybrid backup point guard role, he's always played some minutes somewhere else. He's never just been a backup point guard ever. Yeah, and I think that because his defense is at a very high level, then that's that's why he can squeeze out those last few minutes. You know, I think offensively, and we we talk about him offensively so much because he's so weird and he he just doesn't fit into any of our sort of stereotypes about how he should play at his at his size given the the lack of shooting given the the strong playmaking you you just there's so much to talk about with him offensively that we just sort of skate through the defense but the defense is where he brings all of the not all of the value but most of his value does come defensively and it, it does he's not going like whether you want him to play the three or the four defensively like i just don't i guess i don't really care about that as much because he's if he's on the floor, he's guarding the best forward for the other team, whether that guy's the three, whether that guy's the four, whether it's LeBron James at the three with, you know, Kyle Kuzma and Anthony Davis, or it's, you know, Paul Millsap and, and they're playing against the Nuggets and it's, you know, Paul Millsap and Jokic. Turner's going to guard LeBron at the three, Millsap at the four, whatever whatever needs to happen. I think Turner can can defend both of those positions really well. And that's where things get sort of interesting with, you know, playing him with the starters a little bit more, playing him with Trey Young, with John Collins, you know, allowing those guys to be buoyed a little bit by Turner's, you know, high level of, of defensive acumen. I think that's where he can earn some some of some of those extra minutes. Offensively, with those guys on the floor, obviously Trey is going to have the ball in his hands a ton. And this is something that I, I wrote about at Blazers Edge when they, you know, when they got bounced out of the playoffs last year. Uh, against New Orleans, w- nobody's ever used Evan Turner as a small, short role playmaker, and that's something that you know he's had a Trey Young like point guard in in his life over the last three years. And Damian Lillard, obviously, Young is a better passer, not as good a shooter, not as good an athlete, not as good at almost anything other than passing, really. But the the idea of how D- Damian Lillard got defended you know, over these last three years and how Trey Young will be defended, you know, this upcoming season, those things are relatively similar. And Terry Stotts never did a whole lot of Lillard-Turner pick and roll where the defense doubles Lillard and then Turner's there at the free throw line, catches the ball and makes a good decision. And we know because his playmaking skills are there that he can make decisions with the ball in his hands at the free throw line and his lack of shooting is not as much of a problem if he doesn't catch the ball at the three-point line. If he catches the ball at the free-throw line, teams are going to have to guard him. You can't just not guard somebody who's six foot seven at the free-throw line who's already got his momentum going toward the rim. Like they're going to rotate to him, and he's going to be able to make that decision. You know, sh- those those shoot pass decisions. He's not, you know, he's a fine finisher. He's not like fantastic in that way, but he's going to be able to make those those pass shoot decisions 
really well. And it's something that we haven't seen a, a lot of in his career. And certainly it was something that I thought that Portland should have done more. But that would be an interesting way to use him offensively in a system with Trey Young, with Kevin Herter, with John Collins. If Collins sort of takes a step forward as a uh, as a perimeter player, as a shooter, as a floor spacer, obviously you don't want to do a ton of that because Trey Young, John Collins, that pick and roll is your bread and butter throughout the year. So you don't want to take a ton of possessions away from that to, to feed Evan Turner as that role man. But you know, certainly if they want to play him as a small ball four and it's Alex Len at center, it's Bruno Fernando at center, you know, assuming that Fernando can shoot a little bit, maybe Damian Jones can shoot a little bit, but Alex Len, certainly we know he can shoot a little bit. So you can play Turner as sort of the, the center quote unquote offensively and let Tur- and let Alex Len, you know, space to the corner, let Turner be the, the primary partner with, with Trey young and pick and roll. I think that would be an interesting way to use him if you want to, get him out there. And then of course he, you know, brings a ton of value defensively can defend any, you know, any three or four in the league at this point, really. Like I would, you know, I feel, I feel more comfortable with him up against Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, those kind of guys than anybody else on this team. Certainly, you know, because of the, the high value of the, the, the three, four defenders, he's probably the best overall defensive player on this team because of, you know, because of the positions that he can defend. DeAndre Bembry is right there as somebody who can defend ones and twos. But if you need somebody, a stopper at the three and the four, that's Evan Turner right now. Maybe DeAndre Hunter gets there. Maybe Cam Reddish gets there. But Evan Turner right now is your best option in that in that way. And so finding a way to use him offensively so that they can play him with the starters, whether that's to close the half, to, you know, at some point, you know, maybe even closing games if he can really take to that uh, that short role playmaking position. I think that would be interesting. So there are a lot of of ways that you can use him. They're obviously not traditional, but that's what you get with Evan Turner is a, is a non traditional kind of player. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to to sort of parse there, but I think I'm a little bit lower on his defense than you. I think he's a good defender. I'm not sure. You know, last year this is it's one year noise, but the metrics did not love his defense last year. Uh, you know, PIPM and, and RPM did not like his defense very much. Part of that is just situation and all that stuff. I think he's a good defender. Yeah, I mean, I wonder I wonder how much of that is like, you know, anything that takes into account plus minus like PIPM yeah, and, and RPM. That's what I mean. I, it, there's he's going to be there. hurt by playing on the same team with Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu. Like they just had a lot of defenders at the four and a lot yeah. of defenders at sort of the forward positions. I would imagine his, you know, his defensive RPM should rise this year because the other threes and fours around him are not going to be, you know, quite as strong on on that end of the floor. Yeah, I mean, and again, it's it's one year noise. I think he's a good defender. You know, I will be interested to see if they use him as that stopper. I think they're going to maybe give Hunter those reps um, because Hunter's defense is obviously his calling card, and upside wise, he's clearly going to have some real upside defensively. Um, you know. We'll see how that all shakes out early in the season. I, I didn't think it was an accident, though, that Pierce said the, the small ball four thing about Turner because, you know, listen, I, you know, we talked about Jabari previously. I talked about Jabari in a pretty positive way, I thought, with Kevin um, earlier this week. But if you're trying to play a small ball lineup that features all of your core guys, if, if, that features Young and Herter and Collins, you probably don't need Parker on the court with those guys because Parker's primary value is his offense and you're not going to need the offense. So if you're trying to I mean, find would, a small ball four, it could be Turner for his defense and what he can bring. So 
I'm not it's sure that it's like something that you don't need Jabari Parker. I think he would be like an active negative in that sense. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean yeah, <laughs> I know you're lower on him than I am in general, but no, I, that's probably the worst possible scenario for Jabari Parker is playing in a small ball lineup with a bunch of offensive players. Because he doesn't, yeah. Because his his primary but value bring any other value. Yeah, his primary value is floor raising on on the offensive end of the floor. So, you know, I I would certainly argue that you might want to use Hunter as a small ball four. I'd like to see Hunter in that role before Turner, frankly. But if if Hunter is playing the three in the same scenario, then you might just use them both or whatever yeah. you want to do here. I, I think, you know, it, there's just a lot of interesting lineup stuff up and down this roster. Turner Turner and Bembry are both just profoundly weird because they're lack of shooting, so they kind of overlap with each other. Early in the season now, uh, Alan Krebs Alan Krebs going to be out, so that's going to take an option away from them. Um that's interesting too to the point where now you really only have one bench shooter and it's Vince. Um and we don't know what's going to happen with Vince. Vince is 42 years old. So there's a lot there's a lot of weirdness on the second unit. And I I do think that Turner is going to play at a bare minimum you know, 15, 16 minutes a game. And it, it would not blow me away if it was 21 or 22, just because of yeah. what, we, what, what, what we just said. And I think Pierce, judging by judging by the way that he's talking about it, judging by the way the players talked about it at media day, um, Turner is a part of the rotation on this team, like firmly. And I think they're going to trust him, especially early on in the season, more than some of the young guys, which, you know, better for worse. But we're going to see plenty of Evan Turner, I think. Yeah, I think we're, we're going to get a good feel in the first you know few weeks of the season what they sort of envision his role to be whether they're going to use him with trey without trey and you know sort of all of that especially if the team is sort of fully healthy to start the year obviously alan crab is going to be out but that shouldn't affect turner's minutes too much it's obviously going to affect how effective they are when when turner's on the floor because crab would have been a very good option next to turner in the backcourt as as a as a shooting as a shooting shooting guard, if that makes we, sense. We, we've but, talked about this, but the uh, the nightmare offensive scenario on this team is a lineup that has Turner, Bembry, and either Fernando or Jones on the court. Together. Yeah, that's you're not you can't score with that lineup. Hopefully, that's a pretty decent lineup defensively. You know, if that Fernando would be the is sort yes. of the the defensive, uh, if he's the defender and the rebounder that he was last year, and that sort of translates immediately. Bembry can defend ones and twos. Turner can defend, you know, threes and fours. You get Cam Reddish out there who has, you know, some strong defensive upside. Like that can be yeah. a very strong They're, defensive unit, but you are not going to score at all with that with that group on the floor. No, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, there's a theory behind the second unit that just turns it into a bludgeoning defense first, muck it up kind of unit that I'm okay with that theory. I think the offense would be really hard to watch, but I do think that that might just be something that Pierce tries. Um, yeah, but anyway, I mean, and I... Personally, as just you know, my own feelings. Like I would love to see that. Just from a, I mean, I would be interested in seeing that. Just seeing how well it works. Seeing the 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 overall idea. And we talk about this more in the playoffs about slowing the game down when your stars are off the floor. But you can do that, you know, throughout uh, the, the the regular season as well with these lineups that are very much more defensive. You really pound the air out of the ball. You play at like a eighty five you know possessions per game kind of pace. With, with Trey Young out of the game and you just really, you know, try to work it down to, you know, the last five seconds of the shot clock every time, try to make the, the, the other team work on the other end, uh, you know, especially if you can stagger that. So you're playing against their starters a little bit so that their starters get tired of having to to go up against Bembry and Turner and, and Fernando or Jones or, you know, whatever sort of defensive lineups that they can construct. I think that would be an interesting way to 
make things happen without Trey Young on the floor that are not just bleeding points on, on both ends of the floor. Yep. I, uh, I agree with that. We'll see, we'll see what they do, but you know, overarching take for me anyway, is that, you know, we're going to see part, we're going to see some of Evan Turner. He has strengths, he has weaknesses, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how Lloyd Pierce builds around them and how he plays because again, expiring contract guy past, past age 30, he could slip a little bit, but uh, we won't know until we actually see him on the court. So that's coming very soon. Uh, final thoughts on Evan Turner before we go to Trey Young? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm probably higher on him than a lot of people are. Like, I'm higher on his playmaking, higher than his on his defense. I think you can figure out a way to get that guy on the floor when he's got those two skills. Obviously, some people, you know, might be lower on his on his playmaking and defense, and that would make him a little bit less uh, interesting to to those guys or to to those people who think uh, <laughs> of him like that. But yeah, like you certainly, you know, I would. I think Evan Turner is a better player both on this team and just in a vacuum than Jabari Parker is. And I just, I would rather give more minutes to Turner because of the, of his defensive acumen and the playmaking that is just, I think those two skills are better than anything that Jabari does. So that's where I would come down on that. If you're, if they're thinking about, you know, playing one of those two guys, obviously I think that they'll probably play both of them. Yes. But if, if it comes down to, which guy can we fit with the starting unit? I think that Turner is is the clear answer there for me. Yeah, I think Turner is a better fit with, with with the second unit. I am far more intrigued by Jabari's upside. Um, and yeah, I'm lower than the consensus on both guys. I think, but alas, here we are. Uh, okay, let's what's uh, that's probably enough. Probably you know, 30 minutes on Evan Turner is probably enough on the podcast. So let's take a quick break and we'll come back with uh, what everyone's been, been waiting for, which is Trey Young talk. So hold on one second. All right, Jeff, we're back, and uh, people are probably wondering how we got to 40 minutes or so without talking about Trey Young. That is because that's what we do. But also, uh, this might seem weird, but Trey is kind of a simple evaluation in some ways because obviously he is, in my opinion anyway, the best prospect on this team. I think he's the the linchpin of this team long term. He was awesome in the second half of last season, and really for most of his rookie season, he was way better than I thought he was going to be. Um so with all that said, like you might think there's a lot, there's a lot to discuss here. I think though, we've talked about Trey a lot on this podcast and most people have around the Hawks for a while. And we kind of know what he, for the most part, there are things that we're going we're gonna to drill into for sure on this podcast, but we kind of know roughly what he is. He's an elite passer. The shooting is a, as a trait, that's definitely a valuable one, but we'll see how much he makes shots and the defense is the defense. So that's, that's the overarching thing here. We're going to drill down, but you know, it's kind of like, for year two anyway, it's about, you know, Pierce has been stressing this too, it's about it's about consistency, it's about whether he makes shots, but we also, for the most part, know what Trey Young brings to the table. There are things that he's going to have to improve on, but it seems silly, but we might not have as much to say about Trey Young as Evan Turner, which is bizarre, because obviously Trey Young is so much more important to everything that the Hawks do than in someone like Evan Turner or Jabari Parker would be. But we just kind of know what Trey, not what he is for sure, but we, we, the archetype is there. He's a primary option. He's going to run the show every night. They're going to have to cover up for him on defense. And uh, the only real mystery with Young is like whether he's really good or star, star, excellent, top tier good. Like that's the only real question for me. It's like we kind of know, already know that he's an awesome offensive player. It's just whether he puts it all together and makes that next jump 
which may not happen this year because it's year two and growth is not linear. Yeah. I mean, we, we know what kind of player he is. And so ask you know, thinking about what kind of, of way that you can use Trey young, like we were talking about with Evan Turner, what kind of new skills he can develop. Like we talked about with Kevin Herter, those questions kind of aren't there for Trey young. Like even a guy like John Collins, who we talked about extensively about his defense, about these other skills that he can add as a ball handler. That's not a conversation that we're really going to have about Trey. There are certainly two big things that I would like to see him improve. One is, of course, the defense, just the effort, the mentality on that end of the floor. I think as the team improves, they will hold him more accountable. I would hope. I, I would hope that that's the plan. Whether it works or not, we'll see. Yeah. The second one, I would imagine is something is a new skill that he could learn and that is to let things go a little bit to let other guys have the ball and stay and not chase after the ball when he doesn't have it i think that's the 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 making him play off the ball and making him good as an off ball create and not an off ball creator but an off ball spacer an off ball shooter that's going to be a a an interesting part, whether that's this year, whether that's two years from now about whether he, you know, how much value can he bring offensively without the ball in his hands is going to be something to monitor over these next few years as he sort of gets more comfortable in the league. And as he gets more comfortable with his teammates and letting them run the show a little bit, I think that's going to be one of the things that I'm going to watch for him offensively. Other than that, it's really just improving on the things he already does well. You know, don't stop turning the ball over so much, but don't don't trade that off with like not, you know, not throwing the, the insane passes he throws. Like to go ahead and do all that. Just try to cut down on the turnovers a little bit if you can. A better finisher at the rim if you can. I mean, certainly he's got an elite floater already as a as a second year player. One of the better floaters in the in the league. Once he gets all the way to the rim, the, the finishing wasn't you know fantastic even for a guy at his size he was not unbelievable in that area he was sort of middle of the pack for guys you know in that sort of six one to six two to six three range in terms of finishing at the rim as a rookie that's fine but that's somewhere that he can improve on we don't but it's not necessarily that he didn't get a lot of shots up at the rim or that he's not getting into the paint enough he's doing all of the right things it's just can you do those things better and so it's not super interesting as a conversation about like what is he going to be this year what can what kind of new things can he do he already does everything that he needs to do well well it's just can he make that even better and it's just it's a harder sort of conversation to have yeah i i agree um you know obviously the off ball portion is something we've, that we've, we've discussed for a year and the hawks also talked about this last year lloyd pierce was pretty open about it the fact that you know, that was the next step for Trey offensively was working off the ball. We're going to see him try it more this year. I am confident in that. Um, whether it happens for him or not is come is in, you know up for debate because we just haven't seen it happen just yet for Trey off the ball. And honestly, on this team, they're going to need his, they're going to need him on the ball a lot. I mean, to win games, he's by far, by far their best on ball option. So there's a little bit of give and take there because no one on the roster can come close to replicating him on the ball. So if you're Trey Young, you could see why that guy wouldn't love going off the ball because he's just better than everybody else on the ball. So just reality speaking, but you know, to your point about like him doing everything already, he was a top 25 guy in the league last year in terms of usage rate. And basically everyone on the list that I'm looking at this list right now, the top 25 guys in usage rate, 
the only guys on this list that are not like full-blown superstars basically already are Zach Levine, who shoots all the time, uh, Lou Williams, who Lou Williams is just basically a, a one-way player that is kind of what he does. I love Lou, but that's, that's kind of all he does. And that's kind of it. I mean, and obviously, and, and I guess we could say Luca as well because the, he's the other rookie. So everybody else on that, everybody else in the top 25 in usage last year is essentially a multi-time all-star already. So it's like, we know what he can do offensively. I think it would not surprise anyone. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but if he was a top 20 offensive player in the league this year, that seems like conservative to me. That seems like re- perfectly reasonable. Offense only. And now the shooting has to come around a little bit for that to actually happen impact wise. But when you, when you combine what his role is going to be, the usage and the elite, elite, elite passing, like top five in the league passing, you know, that's just a package that offensively you can't really argue with a whole lot. It's just make, make, make a little, make a little bit more shots. But honestly, even if you go back and my favorite sample with Trey Young is not the post all-star sample because everyone always points to the 24 and nine, after the all-star break. And that, that was obviously awesome. My sample that I always use is December 1st on it's 58 games. He averaged 21 and eight and a half assists and shot 35% from three. And that that's kind of what I'm looking at for this year in terms of his offense, maybe even more assists than that. Cause I think spoiler alert, my, my one bold prediction about Trey young is that he leads the league in assists. And I'm not even sure it's bold, honestly. I think I, th- I think I'm actually just going to pick that. Now, there's some context there because the guys who have been winning that award or ranking or leader, whatever it is, are on the same team <laughs> with James Harden and, and uh, Russell Westbrook. But I think Trey's like capable of averaging like nine and a half, ten assists a game this year. Now, that's not even like a weird statement to make, but the whole the whole picture of this thing is that offensively. Yeah, the one I agree. The whole the one glaring thing that you have to look at is his off ball play, but you know his on ball stuff. It's basically does the three point shooting go in, and there there is some efficiency stuff around the rim that you've just you, that you talked about. But his foul drawing got really really impressive down the line. I know Nate Duncan talks about that all the time about how he's an elite level you know BS foul drawer, and that's a great thing for someone who's small like Trey Young is, and he's already stronger. You can see that. You know, both in what he has said about his weight and just the physical aspect, you've seen him sort of bulk up a little bit. I think he's gonna be pretty, pretty good finishing. And if you throw in gravity, finishing at a decent rate with his passing, like you can't stop him offensively. Like he's gonna be really good. Yeah, I mean, he's the th- the the the, the off ball stuff is really the only like new skill that he can learn. But everything else yeah. is just. How much better, better can he get at the right. things that he already does? Can that is the swing. Finisher, it's like, the, the what's your, where do you land at the end? At the end of his development, and not even not even just this year. It's this is mostly looking ahead. Yeah, this is so a like multi-year. three three years from now. Where does he land? Is really the only question because what what he was able to do again. Not even the All Star break sample size is too small for me. What he was able to do from December first on was, was you know three quarters of, a, of an NBA season in which he was already a pretty efficient. 20 point score with eight, nine assists a game as a rookie. Like if that's your baseline, if, if he, if he got no better offensively, he would already be a fringe star offensively. Yeah. I mean, if he gets no better, he's already a top 20, like you said, offensive kind of player. And then of course there's the upside of him being 
one of the five best offensive players in the world. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about here. But getting from 20th to 5th for him is not adding something new to the table. It's really just improving on the things that he already does. Yeah, it's, it's the um, it's so, the off ball and it's making threes. I mean, and that's there's some noise in making threes, but for this season last year, people I think people don't really know this. Trey Young shot 32% from 3 last year. That's not that's not very good. Now, he he's being guarded like an elite shooter and you've talked about that a lot and I credit you for that. But he's going to have to make more shots than that eventually. Now, is he going to shoot 44%? No, I don't think he's ever going to do that. Maybe he does it once in a while, but like from a career standpoint, you want him to be a high 30s shooter. That That's all he needs to do because of the range and the gravity and the passing and everything else that he creates. But, you know, until we see him do that, we can't assume it's going to happen. So I think 32% is as low as it'll ever be. No one should be surprised if that's his worst shooting, three, uh, his worst three-point shooting performance of his career for a full season. But it still happened. Like, he's going to have to get better at that one thing. But we kind of know he can. I'm, my, my only... It's kind of what we said. What we were saying a second ago about everything, but my only my only question is basically: Is it going to be thirty six percent or thirty nine percent? Yeah, know. and I'm not super worried about whether it's thirty six or thirty nine. I'm and not this either. But it I, does matter. It ma- I guess it matters just in terms of overall offensive value. Just taking into account the overall possessions that the, just efficiency that the guy plays. and all that. Yeah, it's not it's not a huge it's, deal. I'm with you that it's not a huge deal. Though. Yeah, like if he settled in to being 36% for his career as a as a three-point shooter and he is a 34% off the dribble three-point shooter and a you know 38% catch and shoot three-point shooter that's and he shoots you know the the volume that he you know was shooting last year like that's fine that means that he is an totally. a, an absolutely elite shooter even if his number is 36% if he is he is if he shoots like that if he shoots 36% on the same volume that he shot last year in the same sort of mix of off the dribble and catch and shoot, he is an absolutely one of the five best shooters in the league. Well, and it's Damian Lillard. Is, That's, you're basically describing Damian yeah. Lillard. Because is Damian Lillard second, is not Steph Curry. But right. Damian, he's regarded as an uber elite shooter, right? We talked about that earlier. Damian Lillard's career three-point percentage is 37%. And he and it's is because, maybe the fourth or fifth best shooter in league history. And that's what Somewhere I mean. Like, there. It doesn't have like to be. He, it's and not it's, old, if it's he's up percentage. there with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Reggie Miller and you know some of the you know off ball guys like JJ Redick and, and Kyle Korver. But like Damian Lillard's numbers don't have to be the thirty seven percent is not nearly as interesting to me as like the volume that he as gets. Eight, that he eight, eight, eight attempts per game, by the way. The last like the last four seasons for Damian Lillard, he's averaging eight point one attempts per game. Yeah, that's and a lot, that's, that's a lot if Trey Young is there, if Trey Young is even slightly worse than that, you're still an uber, uber elite shooter. And so he's – the percentages do, do have to tick up from 32 because eventually he's going to lose that gravity if he if he's always a 32% shooter. Which but he, he's just he not going to be. I mean, that's the thing about no, this. No, I wouldn't think so. I mean, even last year, once, once November ended, he shot 35% for the rest of the season. Now, in yeah, 35 – he settled in at 35 for the rest of his career, that he's going to be one of the five best shooters in the league. And that's Five the thing, most like important, impactful shooters in the league. I because don't of think how he you have to guard him in pick and roll. Yeah, I don't think he's Damian Lillard as a shooter, and that's not a knock on, on Trey Young because <laughs> no. what, what we just said. I don't think he's Damian Lillard as a shooter, but guess what? He's a lot better passer than Damian, than Damian Lillard is. So he doesn't have to be Damian Lillard as a shooter to be a Damian Lillard level player. That's honestly for a 
for a present day comp, like take Steve Nash out of it. He's not playing anymore. And I think Steph is in another conversation altogether. If you're talking about just impact, they're not identical players, but Lillard is often the guy that I say that Trey Young could sort of replicate in terms of impact at the point guard spot in the modern game. He's not the physical specimen of 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 Harden or Russ, just strength, all that stuff. He's not the shooter that Curry is. I think the guy that he can be, and again, not a perfect comp because they're very different players in some respects, is is Lillard. Like a consensus top 10 player in the league. Like Dame, Dame for the last several years is basically a top 10 player in the league. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Like t- 10 or 12 conservatively, I would say. Somewhere in there. And yeah, but had and has had years where he was top five, right? Like not so, just, and that's not that's kind of what I'm seeing from eight to twelve, because he'll have he'll have you know entire seasons where he finished fifth in MVP voting. Like he's he's been on. Yeah, I mean uh, the last been, the last four seasons level too. The last four seasons, Dame's averaging twenty six points a game, like on high level efficiency. Like that's yeah, it speaks for itself. But anyway, like that's kind of. And Trey will do it more with passing than Dame ever would. But that that's kind of the impact sort of level in the league that I see Trey striving toward. I'm not going to tell you right now that he's going to be a top 10 player in the league for four seasons like Dame's been. But that's kind of the impact level that you want if you're a Hawks fan for Trey Young. He's not going to be the best player in the league, I don't think. Like, I know Steve Nash was a, a two-time MVP, but I don't think that Steve Nash was the best player in the league at any point. No, probably not. Because by like the time he, he, value wise, it was a perfect storm. It worked out great, and obviously, Steve Nash is a Hall of Famer. He's incredible. If you if you if you become Steve Nash, that's an it's a massive win. Nobody's no one said otherwise. Sure, but I don't think Steve Nash was ever the best player because he was playing in a league that had Tim Duncan and LeBron James and Kobe and sure. whoever else. Before so, that was Shaq, like Shaq was, or whoever you never, want to say. So, right. and that's the same with Dame. Like I, I think Dame. There's not going to be a moment where Dame was the best player in the league. He's already 28. That's not going to happen for him. But yeah. like you said, he could be the he best player. He just happened to come along at the exact same time as Steph Curry. Otherwise, yeah. we'd be talking about Dame Lillard like Steph Curry. Like exactly. if Curry's ankles never turn around after his, <laughs> you know, first few years in the league, Damian Lillard is the is the face of point guards for the next generation. Yeah, probably. Like it just And, and by the way, Dame got a late start. Like Dame was a veteran college player that got a late start. So yeah. I mean, I, we're, we're down in the rabbit hole a little bit on this, but I, I thought that was just interesting to bring up and talk about through the prism of shooting and overall impact because like, I'm not worried about Trey Young shooting. The only question is whether he's like a, merely a good shooter or an elite one. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't think he's anything below good. And the gravity, c- coupled with the passing, it just makes it kind of ridiculous. Um, yeah. Something that I wanted to get in here, we'll sort of transition a little bit away from the his own individual numbers, is that, we talked about this a lot on the podcast and other episodes, but Trey's impact on the offense and really the defense. We'll talk about that in a second. But last year, for the full season, the Hawks were 6.6 points per hundred possessions better with Trey on the court offensively. Now, that is not a surprise because he was their best offensive player last year. Well, him, him or Collins, but he was the engine anyway. Um, it was even more stark after December 1 when he, for, he, when he famously came out of the slump. December 1 on the Hawks were 9.6 points better per 100 possessions with him on the court offensively. And they posted, by the way, they put, they posted a 112.1 offensive rating with him on the court for 58 games. That would have been a top seven offense in the league. That number I think is more interesting long-term than, than the first one, because being much, much, much better when Trey young is on the floor versus 
Jeremy Lin or Jalen Adams is not like that's I mean, it's not supposed to be that stark, but yeah, that has, no, you're right. I mean, most most stars have huge gaps like was, that. Yeah, yeah. Most, a lot of that has to do with the fact that like his backups were backups, and it's just that's that's just the way ask Kimball Walker, who always had like ten like ten point splits, and but I yeah. mean, all that to say, like he basically Trey Young, if he's the guy that we believe he is, is gonna essentially be a top ten offense by himself or close to it. Eventually, he's yeah, not quite there yet, much. but I think that's good. what's what's gonna happen. He's most pretty close to already. Yeah. There. I mean, he's not one hundred percent there, but if you put ninety placement <laughs> level players around. Him, he's probably going to engineer his, himself into you know a top 14, 15, 13, you know offense already. And yeah, that's there, you know, there should going be some credit. We should give some credit to Collins because Collins is a huge part of it last year as well. It wasn't. It's all. It's not only Trey, but yeah. You know. I mean, I yes. I he's the the car around the engine and like yeah. How much Trey, Trey is more you important. Give. You're not gonna. I'm not arguing yeah. anything but that. But sure. Collins posted a full season with like 61 percent true shooting. Like. And that, yeah. that's not I mean, something he's that certainly can do. an elite play finisher. Yeah. Um, and so, that's, that matters a ton when you've got a guy who can create anything for everybody. So the passing is what it is. We know about that. The playmaking is what it is. But I think, just to, as a reminder to everyone, I think this is not even a hot take. This is going to be a top 10 offense this season when he plays. Now, Probably, when, he doesn't, yeah. when, he, when he doesn't play, it'll be they a bottom five be offense. Bottom three offense. Yeah, so that's that's the gap, Maybe. and obviously he's going to play more, a lot more than he's going to sit. But yeah, so what does that mean like for a... you? Like we're talking about this now because because it's Trey and Trey's the Trey's the engine. It's not. It's more of a team thing, but it's also he's the biggest part of it. What do you make of the team offense on the whole? Like, is this going to be a top a, a top fifteen offense this year on the whole because of what Trey gives you when he's on the court, or is when he leaves the court going to be so bad that it's going to kill him? Like that, that's kind of the question that I have. It's not really about Trey, but in some ways it, in some ways it actually is. Yeah. I mean, when he's out there, I would certainly expect them to be, you know, seventh, eighth in the league offensively, maybe even better than that. You know, I think that that is certainly a, a median outcome for, for Trey Young this season and for the team when he's on the floor. How bad it gets when he's not on the floor is going to be whether they can get sort of an outlier shooting season from anybody. Like, can they get an outlier scoring season from Jabari Parker or even Chandler Parsons or Evan Turner, maybe like there are, there are paths to them having the, you know, a, the 20, 20th, maybe best offense when, when Trey Young's off the floor, but there are more, that seems it's, it's bloody, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot easier to construct a path to them being like the 28th best offense when he's that out. That might be worse. I mean, honestly, league. when he left the court last year, they had a 102.5 offensive rating. Like, yeah, that's, that's not great. That's awful. Like, and and honestly, they're the part of that at least had Jeremy Lin, who Lin had one great month and was not great outside of that. But he was an NBA level backup point guard that can sort of engineer yeah. an offense. They don't have that guy now. So, you know, part of that is you know it, there's some noise in here. Like, how much they stagger Young and Collins will matter. How much they stagger Young and Hurdle will matter. Like, there is some nuance to this conversation that we're not going to do now. But I think they're going to be. The overarching theme is that they're going to be really good when he plays and really bad when he's when, he, when he's off the court, offensive only right now. Yeah, um, I think that makes makes. That's a ton not of sense. like a breaking news alert, but I wanted to at least say it in clear terms. Um, we have to talk about his defense for a second at least, just because that's a thing. Um, I don't love these numbers on the whole, but it's worth noting. 
He was famously dead last in the league last year in ESPN's RPM defensively. Um, he was second to last in PIPM um, ahead of Devin Booker, a fellow all-star <laughs> level offensive player. Um, and also, I guess, no, actually, he was tied for second to last. He was tied with, with, with fellow rookie Colin Sexton. Um, so that's, that's bad, obviously. Um, for the full season, the Hawks had a 114.8 defensive rating with him on the court. If you don't love, if you don't familiar with those numbers, that is terrible. Um, and the Hawks were nine points better defensively, down to a 105.8 with him off the court. That's not surprising either. Just as much as it was not surprising that the offense was so much better with him on the court, the defense improvement with him off the court is not surprising either. So we know the deal here. We know Young is terrible defensively. We know he was all time bad. Whether you believe he was the worst defensive player in the league last year, I. I don't really have an opinion on that. All I know is that he was one of the 10 worst. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, I would certainly, I would think that his overall negative defensive impact was probably less, less than, than I agree. Yep. Was, was better than some of the other guys. And some of that's who, just point guard. I mean, point guard defense, yeah. it matters. Trust me, it matters. I've been banging the drum about this for a year now, but it matters less than, other positions do yeah. defensively. And I think I'm way more worried about John Collins defensive development than I am Trey Young's. Yeah. I and mean, Colin, Collins is a better defender. Collins can do it. Right. I mean, um, Collins is a better defender right now than Trey is, but the fact that he has, he has, it's more important to his own game and his own development. I'm talking about Collins now that he improves defensively than it is for young. If young is just yeah. terrible, his whole career like that, that's not good for the Hawks, obviously, but Trey Young can be a perennial all-star and be a terrible defender. That is yeah, they can, well within they the can, possibility. If Trey Young is their point guard of the future and he plays, you know, if he is their, their absolute point guard for the next 10 years, if he is terrible on defense and continues to make, you know, the improvements that we think he's going to make and he's going to be a top five offensive player someday, they can win a title with him as their point guard. Yeah. If John Collins does not take steps forward, but is still the team's centerpiece, power forward, big man, they will not win a title because of his defense. Well, and they can't, you can't have both too. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's part of that is that big man defense is more important. And part of that is that you can't have two, you know, if if you're going to build it, if you're going to build a, a literal, a literal contender, like NBA title contender around Trey young. And he's a terrible defender. If we assume that, which, you know, it's not, we shouldn't assume that. I think it's pretty but likely that he's bad for his whole career. Yeah. But if he's if he's terrible, we'll say he's terrible for this for this discussion. You can win with one guy like that, but you yeah. better build around I mean, him with same, defenders. It's the same sort of conversation that you can win with one non-shooter. Yep. It's you hard to, to win. It's very <laughs> difficult to have two non-shooters and be okay. But you can live with one. You'd like to have zero, especially a point guard. I mean, point guard's the spot you would want it to. Like you couldn't do it at center. Yeah. If you if you came out no. if, if your best player like. If your best player, who's you know, take your Towns. well, but Towns is better than this. But yeah, take your worst defensive characterization of Carl Anthony Towns. Like make Carl Anthony Towns into Enos Cantor defensively, yeah. and then that's what we're talking about. That guy can't win a title as the best player on the team. He can't do no. it. But at I mean, point guard, Towns even as like he's not. I mean, he's really bad, but he's not, he's good. not even. He's not like the zero with percentile at center. That's what he's I mean. He's not. He's like not terrible. Percentile. Terrible. He's just bad. right. 
And so, even that team can't like even make the playoffs. And that's and, not and all, that's not all on like him. A generational offensive player. Yeah, and that's what honestly I think Towns is a good comp to Young in that if you look at Towns' numbers offensively, he's ridiculous. So the guy is yeah. one of the most gifted centers you'll ever see. Um, yeah, he's one of the five best offensive players in the world, maybe. But it's, one of the it's, just more, best. it's just more to illustrate the impact of defense and positioning and knowing full well that, you know, we we have we have ridden Young's defense into the ground and we'll keep doing that. I know I will because I just I, I care about defense more than most people do. But point guard defense is not as important as other positions are. So yeah. that does matter. And again, I think I said it a second ago, but I'll say it again for clarity's sake. Even if Trey is terrible, he can still be a great player like we saw it with steve nash like steve nash was a terrible defender was he better was steve nash in his prime better than trey young last year yes because steve nash was in the right place and he was still bad but he gave a little bit more effort and was in the right place at the right time and that's kind of where trey needs to get to that's kind of where i want to transition now just yeah, say, he was like, never in the right place at the right time and didn't seem to care all that much. And just like it's part of being on a bad team and being the offensive engine yeah. of a bad team. He's a, he was a rookie. I, don't, I mean, yeah, he, rookie, point, to, rookie point guard with a huge workload offensively. You could certainly explain it away. And I have many times about why Trey was as bad as he was defensively last year. Now, though, he's gotten a full season of that. I'm on record. I said it before the draft. He's never going to be good defensively, but there is a long way to go from where Trey was last year to just like being like run of the mill bad. Like run of the mill yeah. bad is a win. Like that's what Steve Nash was. Run of the mill bad, bad is like maybe his ceiling. I mean, probably. I mean, not ceiling. Like his that, that's a high outcome. Ceiling. Yeah. I, yeah I think it's like, like his 75%, 75th percentile outcome would that's be what him I, just that, being like the 30th honestly, percentile. Here's, here's, one, here's one for you. Here's one for you on Trey. What if Trey is Kemba Walker defensively? Kemba Walker's not good defensively. No, he's not. he's not. But Kemba doesn't. But you'll notice, Kemba, Kemba does not does not get discussed like Trey did last season defensively because Kemba is Kemba not good. Gives a, gives a a word I'm not. Gonna well, that's say what I podcast. mean. That, that's that's honestly what yeah. I mean. Kemba's Kemba's a guy who we know at this point in Kemba's career he's never going to be good on defense. But Kemba doesn't doesn't just tear he's not just terrible like he's not good he's right. never going to be good he has physical limitations like trey does they're similar sized trey's probably a little bit taller i would imagine i don't know yeah how that actually I mean, breaks down but they're they're similar in size enough and build and trey's probably even a little bit stronger all that to say just get to where kim is like get to where i mean dame, dame i almost said dame lower but dame dame is dame is bigger Dame's than better. trey yeah, Dame's, and he's definitely Dame's better. Are, um, but, but I mean, early, yeah. early Dame was like known for how bad he was defensively, but sure. Dame improved. And yeah. some of that's physical Kyrie because Irving Dame is Dame's a lot bigger. Yeah, I mean, Dame's a lot bigger than Trey, so that's why I didn't use that. But I think Kemba is about as good as I can do in terms of a a current contemporary for Trey to say, look, just do that, man. Like, just be, yeah. just be bad, but don't don't like don't be laugh out loud bad. That, that's the yeah. difference. And I feel bad make saying it, it that so way, that but that's, that's what it was yeah. last year. I mean, make it so that it's five on four and a half rather than like <laughs> literally five on four. Yeah, just be be competitive. I mean, honestly, and I, and I think he gets it. He's saying the right things. He said the right things last year, but even as, as they get into camp, Pierce has said it a couple times now. They know. I, I, yeah. I'm not, I wasn't not worried last year. not a single year thing. Like if no. he made no improvements on defense this year, I would be in the same, I would have the same level of, you know, hey, he's got to be better than I there when I as I am right now. I would not be panicking. If no, he I would take a step forward this year. You don't bury him now because he he's still like, he's still so young, and I think workload wise, he's going to have to learn 
I think you want to see some modest improvement this year in terms of just attentiveness. It would be nice, but I'm not like living and dying by like I'm living and dying by John Collins' defensive improvement. <laughs> yeah, no, if he does not improve, that's like I'm going to be. Just it's worrisome. No, I, I'm with you. I think good friend of the program, Tyler Jones, has said this a few times before, and I think it's I, I think I agree with him on this. Even Trey, like just doing little stuff, like like getting in passing lanes. He's got good hands, for instance. Like just getting like little poke away steals, and like just kind of just being more active, not dying completely on every screen. He's so small; he's never going to be good at getting over screens. But just don't get annihilated by every single one of them. Like do just do stuff. Be active. Not all the time. I understand he has a thirty percent usage rate, and he's never going to be, you know, huge energy effort guy defensively. But there is plenty of room to grow from where he was last year. And that's, that's all I want to see. Just every once in a while, be competitive, go out and, you know, stick your nose in there and make a play or two defensively because, you know, possession in possession out, he's not going to be able to hold up physically and just like grind the way that some guys do, but translate that, translate that into playmaking and have, have a good steal rate, like do little things that will make you look better defensively than you actually are. Like famously, there are guys in the league who forever that get two steals a game, and people think that they're good on defense, and they're not. Like, do that. Be the guy who yeah. gets like one point five steals a game, and like, oh, Trey Young, better on defense this year. It's like, yeah, maybe, but he gets he gets yeah. steals now. Like, do that. I mean, I that'd know. be better than he was. That's what I mean. Like, just just be active. Be. I think the physical strength is going to help him too. He he definitely talked about getting, and that's mostly offensive still, like just bouncing off guys at the rim and all that. But it does help him defensively to just be yeah. more stout. And he's it would already certainly durable. help. I mean, it would certainly like the, the conversation about his offensive load and the way that he might be able to trust his teammates eventually at some point down the line. That would also help his defense just in terms of having, instead of it being a 30% usage, have it be like 27% and just have that little bit of extra energy to, to give on the defensive end. I, uh, you know, I agree. I, I think he's going to have, he's always going to have a high usage, high usage rate offensively, and he should. That's the way he's going to have to play and be. Um, his best, but I think he'll learn now what it takes for a full season. That's something that Pierce was saying. I think they didn't ride him. I think you said this earlier on the podcast. They didn't. They didn't ride him as much as they will in the future. I think when it's when it's winning time, you're going to see some more, you know, references to Trey's defensive effort if he's not giving it. It's going to be that kind of thing where it'll be noticeable that he, you know, maybe, maybe it's just fourth quarters. Maybe, maybe when he becomes a superstar in full, in full volume, like a lot of, a lot of stars coast defensively for three quarters and then turn it up and you see him turn it up in the fourth quarter. Now Trey's not going to have the impact of some of those guys defensively because he just doesn't have the tools, but just being able to see it for little pockets would be good as well. So, yeah, I mean, that's probably enough defense unless you have more. I just wanted to at least say on the podcast, we know how bad he is. I've talked about it a number of times. I think he's never going to be good, but it will be good, I hope, to see him make some minor strides in year two. And But I, I generally agree with you, by the way. Like, this isn't this doesn't have to be the year that he's suddenly good defensively. Like, not good is the wrong word. That he's suddenly better defensively. I think you're more worried about that in year four. But yeah, I still want to see a little more from him. Just modestly. The closer they get to competing for real in in the playoffs, the more important it'll be. I don't think they're going to be that much better this year than they were last year. So if I see little to no improvement from him defensively, I'm not as worried about it as if they were trying to go for it. You know, if they but by year by year four, he needs to not be one of the you know the the bottom tenth percentile of defenders. That's what that's really where I'm 
I'm looking for him to make some sort of uh, of improvement. Is not just necessarily this year, but just over the next three. Yeah, I think most of that conversation we, that we were just having is not necessarily only for this season. It's it's future facing. It's the it's the um, ultimate goals of the team. And you know, I think we saw a step in the right direction this summer with the team building perspective. You know, drafting two athletic, long, physical combo forwards who project as good defenders was wise. Now you can, we can litigate how we got there um, with value, all that stuff. But I think if you're trying to build around Trey Young, you're going to need multiple, you know, wing sized, switchy, you know, talented defensive players. And they added two of them. Is it going to work out? We'll see. But the archetype of those guys makes a lot of sense. If your best player is Trey Young, like you're, you're yeah. going to need some defensive talent around him. And that was what I was worried about the first two drafts. Well, I guess the first draft when they, you know, they drafted three guys in the first round and all of them projected to be offensive offense, maybe not only, but offense first players. I was a little bit worried. This time, Hunter is certainly more defensive than offensive. You could argue the same for Reddish. I think I probably would, but people people would definitely disagree with me on that. But even then, both those guys, at, the, at a bare minimum, Hunter and Reddish have, you know, high-end starter defensive talent. That's good. Yeah, and that's why when people get unhappy with me for being so... So on top of John Collins for his defense, that's why it matters. Like because you have Trey Young on your team. Yeah, it, ma- it definitely have- matters more because of because of Trey. It would matter anyway, yeah. but it matters more because of Trey for sure. Yeah, just because that's that's just the reality. And and again, like you just have to. It's from a team building perspective. There's nothing wrong with Trey Trey Young being your best prospect and slash your best player because we've already talked about guys on this podcast. But there are multiple teams in the last you know in modern times basically that have had their best player be a defensive a defensively limited point guard it's possible yeah. to win like that <laughs> like yes it is very 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 possible to win like that you just have to like be right you have to be whatever. you have to build properly Four else five titles yeah i mean even if you took even if you took steph out of it you could still do it i mean it's not and Steph is weird because Steph is, you know, two inches taller and a lot longer arms. And I think Steph is underrated as, as an underrated defender. He's not good, but yeah. he's Steph is way better than Trey. Like it's not even close. No, That's, yeah. Um, I mean, if, so, if if Trey ever got to half as good as as Curry is, that would be a win. Oh yeah, huge. I mean, and, and I try not to even like, invoke Steph like as a reference point because yeah. it, it just gets the stuff going in, in a way it doesn't need to go. But I mean, yeah. Steph and Dame and you know Kemba isn't quite the, that. The, but, the two things, and it's going to be weird, the two things that Trey should try to emulate Steph is in the, the two areas in which he should try to emulate Stephen Curry, off ball, the way he moves off the ball and the way he trusts his teammates to make plays without him having the ball in his hands all the time, and defense. Yeah. It's not the shot. It's not the handle. It's not finishing at the rim. It's none of that. It's off the ball and defense. Those yeah. are the t- only two comparisons I'm interested in. And, there, and, there are two, and those are the two very uh, under-the-radar, like, nerdy things to talk about, which is on brand for us. But uh, sure. I, I think that's right. I mean, obviously the comp's never, never going to go away. But we know that, you know, taking things full circle at this point, Trey is an, you know, an elite offensive prospect. He's already on the verge of getting there as a current player, despite his incredibly young age. You know, like I said before, it would not surprise anybody if he's a top 15 or 20 offensive player in the league this season. He's that good. He's that young. It's it's very, very, very impressive. Um, and if he posts all star numbers, no one's gonna be surprised. Like if he's if he comes out and averages you know twenty two and nine this season, he may not make the all star team because of the Hawks record or whatever. But no one's gonna be surprised 
if he does that kind of thing offensively. Like, no one on the planet. No. So, just be ready for it. I'm, I'm excited to watch him. He's really he's really fun to watch. Yeah. Sure. Period. I mean, I as mean, much as we talk about sort of the – there's interesting stuff with him long-term, but there's not a whole lot of stuff like this year that I'm like, he has to improve in these certain areas. But he, that doesn't – that's a separate conversation from just like how good this guy is and how much fun he is to watch. Yep, and I look forward uh, to watching. Hopefully, you know another eighty-one games of him. He played. He played a lot of minutes last year. That was fun because if he's if he's not playing, yeah. not this be a lot team of fun. is the one of the worst teams <laughs> in the league. Maybe the worst team in the league. If he's Particularly not out offensively, there. it would not be a lot of fun. Um, all right, Jeff. Sure. Well, we've done an hour twenty as we always do. Uh, anything you have coming? I know we are getting closer to the season. Preseason games have already happened in some circles. Um, people are listening to this probably, you know, Friday or on the weekend somewhere in there. And the Hawks play a preseason game on Monday against Zion and company at home. And I will be there. So we're less than a week away from basketball. Yeah, it's, uh, it should be fun. I'm, I'm very excited to get into the season just in general. We're both with the Hawks and with the, the, the national work that you and I both do. So I think it's going to be just a really, really interesting season with all the player movement and all the different teams that, you know, have a legitimate shot at the title. And so I'm just, you know, it's going to be really interesting just to to watch the Hawks' long term development, but also just take in the rest of the league in terms of the the single year and how interesting this single year is. For sure. Uh, and if you made it to the to the end of this podcast, I really appreciate everyone uh, joining us on this journey. Particularly if you uh, listen to all five, or I guess five and a half or six of these preview deep dives that Jeff and I did. I hope they are uh, good primers for the season. We put a lot of work and research and wanted to talk and want to talk about stuff in a deep way. Obviously uh, our day in day out podcast will not be this long. It'll be a lot of me for 20 minutes at a time, but uh, Jeff will be a frequent guest. He is the most frequent guest on this podcast and I appreciate him greatly for all of that. But uh, follow Jeff at JG Siegel. Let's see where else. Uh, Early bird rights, please follow, um, follow on Twitter, follow early bird rights on Twitter at early bird rights. You don't have enough, you know, you know, that, that account is not, does not, not have enough, enough followers for me. It needs to have more. It's than a, uh, fine. I mean, really the early bird rights is very, it's almost mostly a curated version of my, of my Twitter feed, which that's is very, fine. Get it it's, up. Much, it's just the, the same, the same stuff, just second, just less of it basically. So if you're, if you look at my Twitter feed and think, ah, that guy tweets too much, then you can follow early bird rights and just get the the stuff where like the, my articles come out. The premium, the premium content. In. Yeah. The premium content for, for free. I should do that too. Um, uh, but yeah. But yeah, earlybirdrights.com is your home for salary cap stuff throughout the year. If there are salary cap things that happen and there always are. So you can find all of this stuff there. You can find the rotation tool over there, which is really fun to play with, especially as the season approaches. And as you see, you know, how rotations shake out in the preseason and early, you know, the first few weeks of the, of the regular season. That's uh, a lot of fun over at Early Bird Rights as well. Then there's going to be another thing that is going to launch in the next two weeks and six days as we record this before the season starts. That is yet to be announced, but hopefully will be finished. And if it's not, then we will finish it as soon as we can and get it up there. But <laughs> we are working, there are three of us working diligently on trying to get a, a massive, massive new feature for early bird rights. So if you are uh, interested in basketball in any form, then uh, you will find a, a lot of interesting stuff over at early bird rights over this, basically this, this next, uh, this next year. And hopefully more than that, but actually for me, hopefully not more than that. So we'll see. <laughs> so you can yeah. see uh, early bird rights is your home for all of my stuff other than Hawk stuff, which is at peach tubes. Those are the only two places I'm writing now. I'm not writing everywhere anymore. I'm really cutting back on all that. So 
if you're interested in non-hawk stuff, early bird is, is the place for you. Check it out. I am there basically every day at some point. So check out early bird rights and uh, Jeff is my right hand over peachtreehoops.com. We have a nice full talented staff, but uh, Jeff and I do a lot of stuff over there at peachtreehoops.com. So follow us and, uh, you know, click all the buttons and subscribe to this podcast, subscribe to anything that Jeff does, check us all out. And, uh, all right, that's going to wrap it up for this marathon five part session. And we'll be back again next week. And I think no promises, but I think our next podcast is going to be a recap of a basketball game. So stay tuned for all of that. (laughs)